Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our coaching carousel. We're going to go over some of the coaching firings that have happened so far, some of the coaching resignations that have happened so far, and some coaches where we feel they would do best in other environments. So let's look first at the coaches that have been fired so far. Jim Boylan has been fired from the Chicago Bulls. Nick McMillan just fired from the Indiana Pacers. And Brett Brown fired from the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, some would say they kind of saw these firings coming. Jim Boylan really struggled in two years in Chicago. Brett Brown and Nick McMillan coached two teams that were swept in the first round of the playoffs. Jalen, which coach firing surprised you the most? So as much as I would like to be biased and lean towards Jim Boylan in terms of saying it just seemed like the Bulls front office was going to hang on to him and everything was leading that way only for him to be fired, which in my heart was the greatest move ever for the Bulls in the last like five years. But that's actually not the one that shocked me the most. It's actually the Nate McMillan, uh, the, the Nate McMillan firing. It, honestly, okay, Ryan, the reason why I'm so stuttered up right now, right, is because like the very reason why we're having this topic for the viewers to understand, we, we switched this topic last second. We were supposed to do something completely different. And then Nate McMillan got fired from Indiana. Ryan, we've had this conversation plenty of times. We did it on our NBA awards um, episode. We've had this conversation about the Eastern Conference when we've done the breakdowns beforehand. We both believe that Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan is a great coach, a great head coach that if you need to be able to take your team to the playoffs, he is he's the type of guy who can build the type of culture that's going to get a gritty team that's going to be able to do well. I think the entire time that Nate McMillan was there, he was kind of dealt a sorry hand. Victor Oladipo was your best player. I wouldn't say that you have necessarily a star on your team. Sabonis was out this year. Last year, Victor Oladipo wasn't even available. This was their first year adapting to the fact that they added Malcolm Brogdon at point guard and got a guy in TJ Warren who took the bubble over and then basically pulled a disappearing deuce act and just, and just never really showed up the way we thought he was going to in the Miami Heat series. So I feel like over the last four years, yes, I understand. You're 3-13 and 13 over the course of 16 games in the last four years in the playoffs. And that blows. But at the same time, we know what this league is about. Ever since LeBron James went to the Miami Heat about a decade ago at this point, the, the notion has been that you need a minimum of two superstars, maximum, and KD kind of broke this and switched it almost all the way up to four, but between two and three superstars on a team. The Indiana Pacers have had, what, a half a star? I would say maybe, maybe a star but not a superstar in Victor Oladipo leading their, te- their team, and they've been a four seed the last two years? Ryan, look, man. I understand that playoff production has to amount to something. And I get that there's the idea that you can, the well can run dry in terms of having the same voice speaking every year, feeling like you need a different look, 
I completely understand it. But I mean, the dude was working with less and was still balling out. Never got a coach of the year, which was well-deserved and should have been in the conversation probably at least the last two years, including this one. And it's pretty much overachieved with a team that every year nobody's really looking at until the, the playoff seedings come up and they're a fourth seed. Like, man, look, dude. I just love me some Nate McMillan. So seeing him fired, I understand the logic by, behind it to a certain extent, but it, just seeing the headline, it still, it still throws me off. Jalen, I have to be consistent with my take here. Um, I think that this firing definitely came as a shock at first, but then if you look at the track record of Nate McMillan throughout his coaching career, throughout his time in Indiana, it's subpar. I mean, he gets, he gets the team to the playoffs. What does he do after that? He loses in the first round. Four straight years of getting ousted in the first round each year. At some point, the fans and ownership are going to wonder, when are we going to make it out of the first round? Obviously, time is up for Nate, for Nate McMillan, so that question may never get answered. Um, I think personally – I said this before, and I'll say it again. Indiana will always be a middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference team until they get a star. I don't care if it's in free agency. I don't care if it's in the draft. They need to go out and find somebody. Victor Oladipo is not getting it done, even on limited minutes, especially in game one. But, I mean, the role players coming off the bench for the Pacers are non-existent. Jalen, in game four of, my, of the Miami series, Miami's bench outscored Indiana's bench 41-3. to Jesus. 41-3. to Doug McDermott was the only guy on the Pacers bench who had three points, the, the three points that the entire Pacers bench had. There is no help on this team. It's like, you know, you're getting the, you're getting the, the quality minutes from – uh, a guy like Miles Turner. You're also getting some great play in this series from Malcolm Brogdon. But Victor Oladipo is really not playing that much, and T.J. Warren has been silent pretty much against Jimmy Butler. I mean, Jimmy Butler in game one outmatched T.J. Warren. He outplayed T.J. Warren. I just don't know where Indiana goes from here. Now, I think the coaching firing that shocked me the most was the Philadelphia a coaching firing of Brett Brown. I think personally, I knew he was going to get fired if he lost the series. But the downfall of the Philadelphia 76ers team from last year to this year is significant. You talk about a team in Philadelphia that was a three seed poised for an Eastern Conference Finals run with multiple scoring options on the floor and then you get this team. The Al Horford signing was questionable. Josh Richardson, we thought he could be a great shooter. He's turned out to be the opposite. Joel Embiid is still playing consistently. He's still, he's still one of the top stars in this league. Ben Simmons still doesn't know how to shoot the ball. I don't get it. I don't understand what, what's going on with him. I know he was injured. Maybe that factored into why they lost. But two years ago, he played against Boston, and they only won one game. 
I think at some point they're going to have to decide on who they're going to surround this franchise with. I think it's going to be Embiid. I think they're going to trade Ben Simmons. I think they also need to package that deal in with Al Horford because that combo with Horford and Embiid at the four and the five is the mess or is a mess. I just think that this team is inconsistent. Tobias Harris has not been playing consistently well either. And he's been signed on a huge deal. So he got his, he has the money. Is he playing well? Not really. And I think Philly fans would agree with me in saying that, you know, not only is trading Ben Simmons a good idea and packaging that deal with Al Horford and some picks to find a compliment for Joel Embiid. You also need to consider that if Tobias Harris doesn't step up, he's next. Ryan, I, man, let me try to find a way to like unpack all of that. Just because you, you made a lot of, lot of interesting points when it comes to 76ers. And really the, the funny part about it is like, I can't disagree with you about any of it. The only thing is, right, because we have to be logical about this. This isn't 2K my GM. There's no way to really sim this. There's no way to be able to do this properly where it'll be able to work, you know, in a way where we can really see what the Sixers without Ben Simmons, Al Horford, and Tobias Harris all could be. Um, it just, unfortunately for Philly fans, it's, it's relatively unrealistic. Tobias Harris's contract, too significant to be able to move right now. Same thing with Al Horford. Ben Simmons, I think he is unfortunately the odd man out if they had to make a decision about it. And that's because he has the most movable contract out of him the other two aforementioned, and of course, Joel Embiid himself. I think the big thing that needs to be taken into consideration here is that with the Brett Brown signing, they also need to figure out what the move moving forward what should be because they still have Elton Brand as GM. And I think that we can both agree that everything that Sam Hinkie acquired through the trust the process, Elton Brand single-handedly gave it away trying to build a microwave super team and it just has not worked out. Um, I think the biggest thing about the Brett Brown signing too is I think it reveals how short of a leash they had on him entering this postseason. Um, I feel like the demise of Brett Brown, it's only kind of fitting that it came at the hand of the Boston Celtics because that's seemed to be, relatively like his kryptonite over the last two to three years in particularly. Um, I, man, I, you know, like you said beforehand, I can't say that we were necessarily surprised. Um, I think the main thing that probably shocked me about the, the firing itself was probably how instantaneous it actually happened. I mean, it was basically within 48 hours of when they were swept. I mean, I've made the joke off camera and on other podcasts beforehand that during the early stages of the series, Brett Brown was already home. He wasn't really coaching this team, and this team was just trying to get alive by the talent that they still had on the floor. But, man, they didn't even give that man a chance to pack. So, yeah, Philly looks like a good spot to line up on. But, yeah, Brett Brown, his future is to be determined. I guess here's my other issue, too. When you have a road record of below 500 in the season, I think that's something to be considered. 
I don't even know about Elton Brand as a general manager. I, I don't think I can make a clear decision on like how good he's been so far. I mean, I'm hoping he hasn't turned into a player turned GM that wasn't fit for the position, but I think it's starting to look that way considering, yes, he, like you said, he kind of tried to build a microwave super team. And the only way that he can remedy this is finding something for Ben Simmons, even though he's insisting we're going to keep Joel Embiid. We're going to keep Ben Simmons. I don't think that's true. He has to go back and look at the tape from this season. Because what I saw, I think what everybody else saw, is that not only did Ben Simmons have flashes, he also struggled. Not only did Al Horford play some good minutes, and he's been a solid contributor for the Sixers this season, he's also been a liability. I think that, yes, I, I don't understand where they're going to go next. I don't know who the perfect hire would be for Philadelphia. But I think I may have to go with what Elliot Power said on our episode. We talked off camera about this. There's a chance that Coach K from Duke could make an appearance in Philadelphia. If it does happen, I will be shocked. But I'm not going to bet on that actually happening. So I think that's a great way to kind of transition, right? Because we've been talking so much about the downfall of coaches, but there's a lot of vacant spots open. Obviously the Sixers, obviously Indiana, obviously my Chicago Bulls, but there's also a lot of spots like Cleveland, for example, that has opened up. Um, The Nets, uh, we spoke on Kenny Atkinson um, earlier on in the year, um, kind of shocked by his his drop-off considering the fact that we didn't really get to see him with the KD Kyrie squad. We already saw so much development that he did for the team in terms of being able to bring a lot of, you know, late first-round picks, second-round picks, undrafted free agents like Spencer Didwitty and guys like that who are almost like the island of misfit toys players, put them all on one team and turn them into a playoff team. Out of all of these spots, right, out of all the vacancies that we've seen open over the last couple of days, as well as some of the vacancies that we've already seen, what team do you feel like would be the best spot for any of these coaches to go to? And if you have a coach in mind for a particular team, who would that be? It's for your Chicago Bulls and Kenny Atkinson. Oh, man. I think Kenny Atkinson is a smart choice because he's able to develop young players. If you kind of saw what happened in Brooklyn when they took the team, when he took the Brooklyn Nets to the playoffs and D'Angelo Russell had that great playoff run. Spencer Dinwiddie had some nice games in there as well. Karis LeVert is a great player for the Brooklyn Nets as well. I think he can kind of generate that sort of magic from what he did in Brooklyn over in Chicago. I think he has the talent too. Um, I think he has the talent to make some players stars. Zach Levine has been more than a dunker. I think that he has developed a better outside game, better than what he's been able to do in the paint. And because everybody knows him from those dunk contests. Of course. So it's probably better that, you know, he, he improves on the skills that will make him a better player in the future. Maybe like a D'Angelo Russell where he'll come back out of the, where he come, will, he'll come out of nowhere and just have a great all-star season. I think you also need to decide with Kenny Atkinson 
who you build this team around. Is it Zach Levine, Wendell Carter? I think those are the decisions that he's going to have to make too. If he's able to make Avdia, if they select him in the draft, or Markinen into great players, then that's where I'll believe, you know, Kenny Atkinson wasn't the problem in Brooklyn. He's a great developer of young players. And, I mean, of course, you know, I've been on this train for a, for a while because Kenny Atkinson has obviously been a free agent with everything that's going on for a relatively long time, a couple of months now. Um, we have a roster full of young guys practically asking to get molded. We have a lot of guys that I have a lot of faith in after this season, a lot of building blocks. I feel like Zach Levine is a guy who can average 25-plus in this league and be a contributing shooting guard on a team as – um, a lead option in terms of being a team that can make the playoffs on a consistent basis. I really think the way Kobe White came on strong after the All-Star break is something to build on. He was a guy I was really concerned about for this team coming in, and I just was kind of concerned that just like a lot of other UNC guards, UNC players, that there was the chance that he could be like a Kendall Marshall pickup that we reached way too high on and we don't see very much out of him. And instead we got an elite six man Lou Will style come off the bench scorer who I wouldn't say is at Lou Will's status yet. Of course, he's only been in the league for a year, but that microwave ability to score gives us something to work with. Wendell Carter. I think that he is a guy who when healthy I think he can be our big man down the stretch and having Daniel Gafford as a guy who was developing in the G league for a while. I think those two guys would be great where Laurie Mark marketing falls in this. Unfortunately for me personally, I agree with you. I kind of do find him as the odd man out and I would love to get a guy like Denny Avdia or maybe, maybe an Obi Toppin. he's a little bit of above our, our timeline for what I would like, but one of those guys at forward or Killian Hayes as a point guard who can kind of help bring a little extra firepower to this team. I think Kenny Atkinson would be an excellent pickup considering the molding aspect of all those guys that I just listed off. I think the big question right now really is just, is the front office ready to take the real steps that they need to take? We've been under the guard packs um, umbrella of guard foreman and John Paxson for so long that we're used to kind of being inept in this department. And then we had Jim Boylan for the last two years and we kind of lost hope in that department as well. Now we've got a new GM branch from the Nuggets and hopefully, you know, a guy like Kenny Atkinson will be willing to walk through our door. Cause I think if he does, our franchise can instantly turn around and maybe not be a title contender right off the rip, but similar to the Nets, we can work into being a perennial playoff team. I think Kenny Atkinson is the perfect coach for that. And you've, you've listed a lot of great reasons for why I believe that Kenny Atkinson is a great coach, why you believe that Kenny Atkinson is a great coach for the Bulls. I think he's able to develop, like I said earlier, I think he's able to, to develop great young players into stars. And like we said earlier, we mentioned stars like Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert for Brooklyn. He could do that with Kobe White, Wendell Carter, possibly Laurie Markkinen, maybe even Zach Levine turning him, turning him into an all-star. So I think 
Kenny Atkinson is the best choice for the Chicago Bulls. Who would be a pickup for you that would fit on a great on a, on a vacant coaching team right now? Honestly, I think that, you know, and I hate to kind of throw him into another like questionable situation, but I do genuinely believe that a guy like Nate McMillan could finally breathe a little bit of life into Cleveland. I know that it's a little bit of a shorthand. It feels almost very identical to Indiana in terms of very minimal expectations, not a ton of talent already established on the team and kind of a lot of building blocks necessary. But Cleveland has been looking for some type of player or some type of coach to turn them around pretty much every time LeBron James leaves. Nate McMillan is a guy who's overachieved with Indiana every year so far. And Cleveland could use a little overachieving right now. Do I see them winning 40 games with Colin Sexton leading the way? Not at all. But at the same time, I feel like this is a team that with with lesser expectations – a lot of moldable guys, Dylan Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Jetty Osman, if he remains on the roster, any type of pieces that you can acquire if you trade Kevin Love for younger assets. All these things are things that allow Nate McMillan to step in and help build some kind of culture in Cleveland, which they pretty much lack unless LeBron James is leading the team. I Like, again, I, like I said before, I hate to throw him back into another situation where he might be dealt a shorthand, but I do genuinely believe that with enough moldable pieces, he has the chance to help Cleveland finally establish something rather than just being the franchise we expect to be at the top of the draft every year unless they have LeBron on the team. I think this is a good transition to our question of the day because Nate McMillan is such a great coach who can develop a young team into a, into a perennial playoff contender. So I think our question of the day is, where do you see Nate McMillan ending up? Could it be Cleveland? Could it be Chicago? Also, where do you see Kenny Atkinson ending up? Could it be Cleveland or Chicago? Could it be an assistant coach somewhere on a roster? This has been a great episode today of the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, Make sure you give us five stars on Apple and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.